Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to your Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk. And yes, it's in there, I promise. So if you go to the book of Matthew and you take a left, five books, you're going to find it there. And I'll give you a few moments to turn to that. Uh, as we're going to be using this as the final text in our series, uh, Experiencing Life with Jesus. So if you are visiting, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. In the very first week, let me catch you up on where we've been, because it all snaps together like a jigsaw puzzle. In the very first week, we talked about the glory of God. Understanding God's glory is not just God flexing on us to say, I'm bigger, stronger, faster than you. It's actually God revealing his heart to us and the beauty of who he is. When Moses on Mount Sinai said to God, show me your glory, God actually says, I'm going to show you my compassion and my mercy and my faithfulness. I'm going to demonstrate who I am and my glory by how I treat you. It's a beautiful image. In week two, Elijah Daly took us through the understanding that the glory of God is available to us as sinners, not because we're worthy but because Jesus, taking the wrath of God upon himself, tore open the curtain into the Holy of Holies so that we, covered in Christ, can now come into the glory of God and not be defeated and not be destroyed. Then last week, I mentioned to you that one of the greatest means by which we can experience the glory of God is to listen to his voice. And we talked about what it means to hear God and respond to God and who he is, because we're not called to live for Jesus, we're called to live with Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, the very first step that is instrumental in us growing is being able to hear his voice and creating time to listen to it. So today I want to take the fourth step, and it's very, very simple. Normally, when I get the opportunity to preach, which I consider a great honor and privilege to get to do this, one of the things I like to do is take a text of scripture that says something, they all do, but they're all saying something in particular. And take that passage and break it down into pieces that all of us can understand why God said it. What does it reveal about God? What does it reveal about us? What does it reveal about the world we live in? And how do we grow from that? Well, today's text, I'm going to be using in a different manner. I, I want to actually inspire you and encourage you to take the next step in this intimate relationship God has made available to you. And I hope at the end of it, you'll see how to do that and why it would be necessary. But to set this all up, we have to look at the things that God has given us to draw close to him. These aren't things that makes God respond to us. It's how we respond to who he is. These acts of grace, these, these things that he's provided. Jesus was asked a question, what does it mean to, to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow you? And he responded in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I don't think Jesus did that just to be poetic. I think there are ways that our heart and soul, our mind, and our body and strength connect to God. There are different ways we connect to God, but I think Jesus was inviting us to holistically connect to God. So there are some things that I want to talk about just to set up our final discussion this morning. There's things I want you to think about, the ways in which you connect to God and what he has given you to do so. So the very first, how do we get to be with God in heart and soul? How do we connect this part of us, this inner part that makes us who we are, what makes us in the image of God, our soul? How do we connect to him? And I would suggest to you that one of the greatest ways to connect your heart and soul to God is in prayer. 
I also will say this. I believe personally, my conviction is that as talking as a pastor, talking to Christians, and this isn't shaming, this is just acknowledging prayer is one of the most powerful things God's given us to connect to him and one of the most overlooked or abandoned in most people's lives. I have yet to meet anybody who says, yeah, my prayer life is on point. Every single one of us realizes, most people look at me and go, yeah, I don't enjoy praying. I don't pray very much. So instead of turning this into, well, why not? We all know why we don't, right? I don't have to come up with 17 reasons. And you go, oh, that's the reason. No, you know why you don't pray if you don't pray. You know the frustration involved in it. You're trying to figure it all out. So there's grace and, and space in this room to be human and to say, I desire more of that. Well, first of all, let's define what prayer isn't. Prayer is not giving God a list of things to do. If your prayer life is simply giving God a list of things to do and disconnecting, that's not prayer. That's a strange relationship with a God you don't understand. And so let's just relieve ourselves of the burden of saying, well, I don't, I, I don't pray for long. I run out of things to say. It's normally because we try to get God to do what we want him to do rather than just submitting ourselves heart and soul to who he is. There's various forms of prayer in scripture. There's adoration. Just acknowledging who God is and spending time just looking at the glory of God and speaking to it. There's thanksgiving, there's confession, there's just acknowledging the presence of God being there. So I think he's in the room, but uh, our youngest son, Braden, was home this week uh, from, uh, for Thanksgiving break from school, and it was nice to have him in the apartment. But I noticed when he came in and out of the house, he acknowledged the presence of his mom different than me. I'm not upset by that. It's the basis of our relationship. He walks in the house. He sees his mom. He's like, hi, mom. Hi, mom. How are you? And she's like, well, hi, Braden. And then she's got 14 questions. She asks him nonstop right away. And they engage in this conversation and they connect in the absence. He walks in the apartment. He sees me. He's like, hey. I'm like, hey. And that's the end of it. We're acknowledging each other's presence in the way that fits our relationship. And there's nothing missing with my relationship with him. But the fact is, prayer can begin to connect your heart and soul by just acknowledging God. And these moments happen to all of us all day long. One of, the, one of the favorite things my dad did when he was playful to make the boys laugh around the table, there were four of us, is my mom would say, well, who's going to pray for dinner? And my dad would say, how about we wait till after dinner to pray? And then we'll find out if we're really thankful. I love those moments. Because after we had a nice meal, my dad would say, I want to pray. God, thank you for, for, you know, Marilyn making us a nice meal and putting all the time. And thank you for pork chops. And I just love those prayers. Because it was a real conversation acknowledging the presence of God. It wasn't flippant. It was actually engaged. And I have found, I don't know about you, I'm always more thankful after the meal than before. How about you? So just allowing it to be the acknowledgement of the presence of God, rather than a moment that we construct simply in and of itself. Like I need to pray for 15 minutes because I should pray longer. Why should you pray longer? You should pray more often, not longer. You should acknowledge those moments. I think on a hot summer day, and I know because I'm a, I'm a, a round uh, uh, covered man <laughs> that I sweat easily. And I'm out playing golf or working in the yard and a gentle breeze blows across you in the middle of July in this God forbidden state. And I often say, thank you, Jesus, for wind. Because that gentle breeze is refreshing. It doesn't have to be the big epic moments. I believe we just need to think about the presence of God and acknowledge it. Even if it's just a, hey, hey, I see you. I sense you. I'm grateful for you. 
This is what connects our hearts and souls. One preacher said, prayer is the reflective response to the grace of God. I love that. Reflective response. It's thoughtful. It's immediate. It's like in this moment, I just want to say thank you, God, for this gift. Psalm 6, 9 says it this way. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. There is nothing that you cannot bring to God that he is not receptive to. Oh, he may not say yes. He may say, no, the worst thing I could do for you is answer yes. So I'm going to respond to you in a different way where you'll know my faithfulness, my mercy, and my compassion for you. So creating the sacred space, being with God in heart and soul, try prayer. Well, how do we connect with God with being with him in mind? How do we connect this? Well, this might surprise some of us, but it's actually more scriptural than most people would recognize is solitude and silence. To connect our minds to God, sometimes we just need to be thoughtful rather than conversant. Instead of speaking, we need to listen and respond to the one who listens. In fact, God says to Job in Job 33, pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. Hmm. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's interesting when you think through this about this whole concept of stillness. I remember in church, I've shared this many, many times that my, I love my grandmother. She was very sweet and kind. I don't think I've ever heard her say a bad thing about anybody my entire life with her, but she pinched. If you were messing around in church, she'd reach down that pew. She had like uh, Inspector Gadget arms. She could go nine kids down and catch me and pinch me on the neck or the back of my arm. And she'd go, be still. I don't do still well, do you? Silence and solitude is a difficult thing, yet it is one of the things that God says allows us to turn down the noise because the number one thing to stop us from connecting to God is impatience, the inability to just be still. And I love the imagery of God saying to us, hey, when you're with me, just be still. It doesn't always mean quiet. We can sing to God. We can play music to God. We can do many, many things. We can talk to God. All of those are gifts. But sometimes just being in the presence of God in that moment of silence or solitude is a powerful thing. Now, I'm going to ask a question, which means I would desire an answer. I'm going to ask you right now, water or mountains? Now, I asked this recently, and someone said, I'd like to have like a lake right next to the mountains irritating. You're out. The game's over. Because when you ask people their preference, what it understands is you didn't even ask me, well, Mark, why would you ask me that question? And here's the answer, because water and mountains, either one of them, what do they do? They still us. They're bigger than us. They're powerful. We, We sit in their presence and no one sits. If you went to look at the mountains and someone spent the whole time telling you what kind of rocks they were and how old they were, wouldn't you want to smack them? It's like, no, I want to be in awe. I just want to sit in the presence of the mountain and let the mountain speak to me. I don't have to say a word. This is what silence and solitude does to us. Whether it's sitting by a creek or a river or a pond or a lake or an ocean or seeing a tiny hill or a massive mountain that's epic, what do they do? They still us. The presence of God does the same thing. And it allows our minds to be cleared of all that doesn't matter, that we might be amazed by the glory of God. And how are we with God in strength? So we're with him in heart and soul and mind, 
But how do we do strength? And I think what's interesting about strength in the scripture is strength is found in weakness. It's an oxymoron. That when God, when we find ourselves at the weakest, we're often become the strongest in our connection to God. And so what has God given us for this? And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it. It's fasting. Because it'd be ridiculous to talk to us about fasting after this past week. I should be preaching about repentance. So to talk about fasting is, fasting is not just food, although it can include food. Ask yourself this question, where am I keeping myself strongest? And what if I set that aside for a season to rely on God to be my strength? It could be a myriad of things you get rid of. Once again, like I don't have to to tell you reasons you don't pray. You know why you don't pray. What is the thing in your life right now that is keeping you strong? How about you set that aside and go into the presence of God and let him be your strength? Watch what he does when you deny yourself for something greater. So having put this all together, for Jesus said, to draw ourselves to God, we have to put our, you know, our soul and heart and mind and strength to him. And he has given us things to be found useful. Well, I'm going to be extremely practical for the next few moments that we're together, and I'm not going to apologize for that. It's a little bit different than what we do here, but I want to tell you that I think this is important because to talk about how to give our you know, mind and soul and body or our strength and our heart to God in, in these particular ways, if I just simply say, now go figure it out on your own, it would be really a misappropriation of the opportunity because God has actually given us some pictures of what it looks like to create space in our life and to put these things all together. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2, and let me explain what's taking place in this short little prophetic book. Habakkuk has a problem because the Israelites are being persecuted by a group of a heathen nation that God has sent to punish them. And in the first chapter of this letter, Paul writes, or excuse me, Habakkuk writes to God, and he says, I've got six questions. He puts God on trial. Here's six questions I want you to answer. How can you use the heathens to punish the righteous? Just questions like that. And in chapter two, he positions himself to hear God's answer. And that's what I want to focus on. How do we position ourselves biblically to receive the intimacy available to us with God? And I believe when I was taught this, it's a perfect picture in Habakkuk two of do this. He waits and he listens in the presence of God for what his heart desires, closeness with God, understanding, and peace. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So there's five, five things that I want to share with you just to encourage you. And I'm going to ask you at the end the same thing I'll ask you right now. Could you find three days this week where you create this space, taking the risk of how awkward it may be or hard or inconvenient to receive the presence of God in a way that he paints a picture for you to receive it? That's the question. So what does it take? Well, the very first thing is, we are to withdraw from the earthly kingdom. We have to walk away from all of this stuff to appreciate the presence of God. Notice that whenever God met with someone, it was always on a mountaintop, it seemed. And it takes a walk to get up a mountain, not a hill, but a a mountain. 
and the effort to be in the presence. In verse one, I will climb my watchtower. Some of your scriptures say, I will climb the rampart. I will get up to a vista, a place that shows me the vista above. The watchtower was outside of every city and people, the men would go into the watchtower and they would look over the horizon to see what's coming. They would separate themselves from the daily in and out routines of what's going on in the town or city and they would position themselves. Now, depending on you, your watchtower is where you choose to connect. When I asked you, water or mountains, you're, many of you instantly, oh, it's always water. Well, you now know where a watchtower place for you is. Having lived in Michigan for 22 years, and I always want to clarify, I'm from Indiana. I did missionary work up in that place. But I wasn't ready for what I went up there, and I found out that the state religion's deer hunting. Oh, I know people down here will say, oh, it's a big... No, no, no. I've lived in both places. I'm not an expert on much. I'll tell you you're wrong. Up there, schools close. This is not... I'm not playing. Schools close for two weeks because they won't have enough kids who come to school for it to count. That's how important deer hunting is. Little girls, little boys, all the way up to the ancient. This is, they disappear for two weeks. But I talked to a number of men who were elders in the church, godly men leading their families well. And they would tell me whenever I would talk about this, my watchtower is my deer blind. I've had people tell me it's my boat sitting out on the lake fishing by myself at five in the morning. You see, here's another beautiful thing. You know where your space is, don't you? You know where your prayer closet is. You know, Daniel had a spot that he prayed overlooking a window because we know it was a window, but he'd pray there three times a day. He made it important. How do we know this? Because people saw him doing it and took him to the king and had him punished for it. There is a space in all of our lives. There's a place that is sacred to you. It's a quiet place. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be fancy. Your prayer closet could be wherever it is. I had a guy tell me, my prayer closet's my truck. He said, I get to work a half hour early. He said, I've tried to read my Bible at work, but people interrupt me or they, or they stare at me. He said, I sit in my truck before I go to work. It's a half hour with God. There's no radio. It's just my Bible and me and Jesus. And I set my heart for the day. Where's your watchtower? You have to create this space. It does not happen. Godliness doesn't happen by accident. It happens by choices to pursue it. So I want to challenge you. Look at Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He connected with God in spaces away. He got away from the disciples. He got away from the noise. And if you suggest to me that you're busier than Jesus, I'd like you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Nobody had more demand on their time than that man, and he created space to withdraw. And if he needed to, you and I do as well. Proverbs 2 is a promise to us. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. You'll find the glory if you put in the space, if you create the time. So after you find your watchtower, after you have gone and withdrawn, wait on God to speak. You have to wait. This is where being still pays off. Habakkuk 2.1, I will station myself. I will stay put. I won't move. This is important. It's waiting on God. Don't run around. Be still. Be patient in the expectation. God is present. You don't have to wait for God to arrive. He's not running late. He's right here. 
He's filled you with this Holy Spirit. He is speaking to you truth, and he wants you to wait. And sometimes it's not just speaking to God. It's not prayer. It is listening to God and receiving the presence of God, even if it's just a, hey, hey, you're here. I'm glad you're here. And you just wait on the Lord. I've said this before, and it's caused a little bit of pushback from people. I want to be respectful, but I don't think this is wrong. I want to challenge you this week. Waste some time with God. Waste some time that you could be spending on being productive. But I have yet to find a passage of scripture that says God cares how productive we are. He desires that we're faithful, that we're committed, and that we're his. So waiting on the Lord. I like uh, Psalm 4610. You'll know one half of this for sure. Be still and know that I am God. Do you see how it's connected? In the stillness of the moment, God reveals. In the still small whisper, God's presence is known. Psalm 62, 5 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. How many of you are challenged by silence? How many of you are challenged to be silent? You see, this is a a real risk is stopping and simply saying, uh, one preacher said this and I've never forgotten. He said, if you want to know how much you have to do in a day, start to pray. Because your mind will panic and give you 17 things you should be doing right now because you don't have time to pray. And I want to tell you, preachers do the same thing. Well, I've got a meeting today. I got a counseling session. I got to work on my sermon. I got to return these phone calls. I don't have time to do this. And yet we mistakenly believe we accomplish anything without God. So waste time. Wait. Wait on him to reveal himself. It's worth it. Because when he does, it's life altering. So we withdraw, we wait, and we watch. We watch for truth and direction. That may seem like a strange thing, and I wasn't just fighting to find W words. Habakkuk 2.1 says, I will look to see what he says to me. I will look to see what he says? That's weird. Do you know that 70% of the world is a visual learner? If, If I said to you, have you ever had a vision from God while praying, most conservative Christians would go, no, no, I've never had a vision. Because you misunderstand what a vision means. Can I ask you this? Have you ever seen a piece of scenery when you're praying about something? Have you ever imagined what it would be like if your prayer was answered and then later you came across the moment in time that it was answered and it looked just like what you thought it would be when you prayed? It's called a vision. Not to make this about me, but when my family and I were offered the opportunity to come to Orinogo to live in this community and be the preacher of this church, I was kind of praying about it. I was telling God why I didn't want to do it. And I imagined, I just had this picture in my head of me speaking someplace. And in my foolishness, I thought, well, it won't be here. It'll be somewhere else that God will have me. In fact, I actually thought I would just stay in the Christian college environment and teach full time. That was going to be my thing. And then they invited us to come here in January of 09 just to come to church, meet a few people, come to church. I wasn't preaching or anything. I just wanted to get the lay of the land. And I remember walking in what is our children's area now, which was our worship center then. I remember my wife and I and our oldest son, Alex, all coming to church that Sunday just to check the place out. None of us were coming. We'd already decided no, but we were just being responsive to Peter Buckland, because he's persistent. And we walked into that worship center and sat down. And as God is my witness, that was the stage I pictured when I prayed. I'd never seen your building. But there I walked in that room, and I had seen a vision of myself standing on that stage preaching, and I was overwhelmed in that moment. Because sometimes God paints a picture if you quiet your heart to listen. 
And he might show you how he's going to answer. He might connect you in a way that one day, it's not deja vu when God tells you what he's going to do. Is that fair? It's not just I dreamed it. No, I actually had this picture. God paints pictures. That's why in Ephesians 1, uh, 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you might know the hope to which you've been called. The, the eyes of your heart? Yeah. God paints pictures for us to imagine the beauty and glory of what he's going to do for you. And he even paints pictures so that you and I can say to him, is there anything you want me to see today? And then wait and watch. The fourth thing, write. Write your understanding. Now, I want to put a little bit of a caveat on this, to be honest with you. I'm not a journaler. There's several reasons I don't like to journal. I don't connect with past writings in that way. I also can't read my handwriting anymore. Am I the only one? I mean, I haven't handwritten a full letter. If I've ever wrote a, a written a note to you to thank you for something, please, if you can't read it, just understand my heart was intended well. Just read it and go, well, I think he likes me, and then that'll be good enough. I don't write anything anymore. I type, I dictate, I, I do all of that. I text. And so I've lost my handwriting. So for me, the journal doesn't work. For some of you, your handwriting is impeccable. You have $75 journals with a $2,000 pen. You dig the moment. It's worship for you. Keep going. But for the rest of us who don't journal, here's the important thing to remember. Remember, don't let it dissipate. Record in whatever fashion works for you. Record what God is doing in your life. Because when I go back and look at my prayer journals five years ago, and I pull up the date in November of, you know, five years back, and I read, what, sometimes I forget what God was doing in my life. And I look at that now and I go, I'm grateful I wrote that because I can remember he was faithful. Or he answered a prayer that I forgot I ever prayed. This is what it says in Habakkuk 2.2. The Lord gave me this answer. Write down clearly what I reveal to you. Record it. Remember it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. So pull away from the noise of the world. Wait on the Lord. Watch what he's doing in your world. In fact, have you ever noticed Jesus said quite often, watch and pray? Keep your eyes open. Write down what God is doing. Record it. Don't forget it. And the last thing, and I want to be careful, the last thing is worship the gift of his presence. But as I say this, I don't want you to think it's the fifth step. No, it's actually the result of the previous four steps. Worship is what will happen when the presence of God is revealed to you. You can't stop yourself from it. It is the blessing we don't force God to reveal himself. We learn how to posture ourselves as God reveals himself. Habakkuk 3.2. Oh Lord, now that I've heard your report, I worship you in awe. I see what you're doing. I remember your faithfulness. I'm grateful. I adore your presence. It's God's presence enters around us. It's not that we prayed for 15 minutes. It's that our heart was in a constant state of acknowledging, responding, and worshiping to what God's doing all around us. I don't know that we talk about this enough, but let me tell you that if it's, if it's Michael DeFazio or Elijah Daly or Drake Holderman or myself, whoever's on our preaching team here at the church, one of the things we're fully convicted of, we were convicted of it independently of one another, and we are corporately going to hold to this, that if 
We open a passage of scripture and it doesn't lead us to the core of the gospel. We've given advice. And none of you got up on a Sunday morning to come to hear my advice. If you did, whoa, change, change about that. We want you to come to hear how the gospel makes this advice valuable, how it connects us to the story of Jesus. So how does this lesson, this teaching about drawing into the presence of God and some of the practices that God has given us, what are called spiritual disciplines, how do they connect us to God in things like silence and fasting and study and prayer and worship? How do they connect us? Well, the easiest way to connect to the gospel is to connect to the person who brings us to good news. Jesus did every one of these. Did you notice? Every single one of them. Jesus in his earthly life withdrew from the busyness of the world and the crowds to separate himself. He would often go sleepless at nights because being with God was more important than even sleep. That he waited on God. He waited many, many years. Some speculate possibly 33 years of physical life. He waited on that moment, that perfect time that God said, now. He watched what God does in the world. He watched what God was doing in his disciples. He paid attention to these moments. He said on many occasions, now is not my time. And then he says to the disciples, my time is quickly approaching. He watched, he paid attention, he postured himself in total submission to who God was. Now, I can't tell you that he wrote anything down. I I can't tell you that there's one passage of scripture that Jesus journaled every night. But I can't tell you this. He obviously told people what God was doing because I can prove to you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote it down. They heard what he was doing. They heard what he was telling and they recorded these things. In fact, the apostle John says that the, the world could not contain the books that could be written about what he said and did. He was sharing, just like we're supposed to, share what we're learning of God and sending it out for others to know. And then we know he worshiped. Because he would say to his father in the garden one night, not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the penalty that he would take from us on himself. He knew the punishment and the struggle and the torture and the pain, and he chose all of it. You see, the gospel is connected in this, the presence of God in Jesus' life led him through this life that we might have an example to follow. So could you give two or three days this week where you found a watchtower, climb up in it, turn off that phone, turn off the television, get away from the demands to wait on the Lord, to watch for his guidance, to write your prayers out or record them and memorize what you've given to God and what he said to you in those moments and meditate and think about the goodness of God so that you're acknowledging his presence each and every moment of your existence. And then some point in each and every day, you'll worship God in the strangest ways like you've never done before. Your heart will connect to God. Would it be worth it, the risk? Would it be worth it to you, the work? Would it be worth all of that to feel this afternoon, this evening, before you go to bed, I spent time with God today. Oh, some people will call it a waste. It's life. It's energy. It's what propels me. It's why I'm here, to reflect the glory of God in my own life so others may know him 
because I know him. If we can pray with you this morning or encourage you, there's tables in the back of the room. People are headed there right now. If we can walk with you in any way to encourage you as you seek completeness in Jesus, that's why this church exists. There's a prayer center out in the foyer. If you want to go out and talk to some that will be standing out there as well, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you. The presence of God is available to us. Will we take the opportunities he's given us in the ways he shapes us to receive more of him? Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.